friends, and welcome to another episode of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I am Anise Pleasure of Amplify Horse Racing in the Kentucky Equine Education Project, joined by Caitlin Christofferson of Grand Hello. Slam Social. Hi. Hey, this world traveler, U.S. traveler, <laughs> no, always really traveling just somewhere. Texas, Florida, Texas, Florida, Texas, Florida. It will be. I'm sure I will add more states uh, once uh, things warm up. But yeah, just uh, spending. I guess it could be a worse winter. I haven't seen any snow yet. So, can you share what your Florida trips have been like? I know they're work trips, but what does it usually involve when you? Well, we when you did go on these trips? one personal trip, and that was we spent New Year's in Wellington, and that was incredible my first time to welly world as they call it so for anybody who's not familiar it's kind of like the mecca of hunter jumpers really worldwide um for like 12 weeks from january through uh mid-april so that was incredible did some uh, consignment shopping there's a lot of shopping to be had down there i could definitely go broke um, but I stuck to the consignment stores. Fortunately, the shops at uh, WEF were not open <laughs> uh, yet. But and then I I went uh, I made a couple of trips to Ocala. I did one for work, and then I did one for uh, to visit my hunter jumper barn, which was uh, took ten horses and was showing there. And so I got to experience World Equestrian Center, which, which we're going to include that clip. All about that, yeah. our our pre-recorded okay. info, all about that. Exactly. So I had been hearing about it since it opened in, I believe, January 2021. And so I just, I had to finally check it out. And it was pretty incredible. I got to cross two bucket lists or two equestrian bucket list items off my list. I went to Wellington, Florida for the first time. And I went to Ocala, not for the first time, but I went to the World Equestrian Center for the first time. So even horse racing people will probably be familiar to this new addition um, in the Ocala landscape in the past couple of years, because it's really hard to miss. It's ginormous. Um, so the World Equestrian Center was started uh, in the Ohio area, and it was basically a, a horse show facility, um, and they redid their Ohio facility, and then I guess decided, hey, you know what, Ocala could use a new horse show facility as well. So they went down to Ocala, and they built this Disneyland-like facility for all things horses. I think it's got like polo fields and I was there for a hunter jumper show. Um, but there was also a dressage show going on. We even saw a wedding happening. Um, they have like barrel racing and raining. And I mean, the place is set up to host the Olympics. Um, so it was super impressive and even ran into a few, like I said, horse racing people, while I was there, um, because it's, I mean, there's like five eateries on site. So that's probably like almost, you know, the, they've kind of like doubled the places to eat in Ocala. <laughs> and, and then I went back another time uh, for a My Racehorse project. We did a two-year-old showcase day. So we had, it was amazing. There were like 300 people that came to OBS all my racehorse owners and they um, watched some of their horses breeze on the OBS track. And these are two-year-olds. So it was, you know, they're, they're babies. None of them have actually raced yet. So it was a really neat experience and incredible to see how much the horses have learned and to see the people supporting them on this journey as well. That's really cool. The experiences that you guys are giving to, you know, a lot of industry newcomers. And on this episode today with our guests, we're going to talk a lot about internships and, you know, creating pathways for kids and youth and young adults to get involved in the industry. But 
things like that, I think really uh, exemplify amazing experiences that could seem so simple, like going to watch a horse breeze in the morning. That's something that is part of mine and your jobs periodically. But for somebody new to the sport, that's like a really, really amazing thing to see and experience. Yes, absolutely. And we talk on this episode today with Tammy Gant about how these connections, while they may seem thin, you know, just a child deciding that they love horses and and going to the track or going to see um, a My Race Horse Breeze, while that may seem kind of like a, a thin thread, it can turn into an entire career built um, in this industry. And so I think we're going to hear on this podcast some incredible things about what Tammy's doing in Florida to help facilitate those kinds of uh, dreams to work in the industry. Awesome. Well, I think with that, we can go ahead and dive in. So on this episode, we have the opportunity to have a very special guest with us. I mean, all of our guests are special, but a lot of times we end up focusing on a lot of Kentucky things or New York racing. Last year, we talked a lot about Saratoga. But for this episode, we thought that it would be really cool to talk about educational opportunities in Florida. Because as we mentioned on, on previous episodes, you know, Florida is actually one of the states with the highest number of horses um, in all the states in the U.S. I think it's California is the number one, then Texas, then Florida. So they are right up there. They have a lot of horses. They have a lot of educational opportunities. And so without further ado, I think it would be great for me to read the bio of today's guest just to give you guys an overview of uh, the amazing depth to her resume and her experiences. So I'd like to introduce you all to Miss Tammy Gant. Passionate about horses, Tammy Gant has been in the industry more than 30 years. Gant worked in racetrack marketing, events, and promotions for 14 years before joining the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association, where she serves as Associate Vice President of Membership and Events. Gant covers topics such as um, the Florida, Florida Thoroughbred History, Horses in Art, Horse Photography, Wagering Tactics, the Triple Crown, and Thoroughbred Retirement. She has hosted interns, externships, and job shadowed, shadowing experiences for students and teachers her entire career and served on equine curriculum boards in addition to mentoring those wishing to join the thoroughbred industry, including through the Amplify Horse Racing Mentorship Program, I might add. She has developed youth programs in the industry, including the Junior Jockey Club, and has won awards for her diversity and leadership programs while at University of Arizona in the racetrack industry program. Most recently, she launched a job board on Facebook titled Ocala Horse Jobs. Post one or get one and is on the ground floor of an equine-based magnet school program launch in Ocala's breeding region. Uh, Welcome, Tammy. I don't know how you have time to do all of that. That's amazing. Honestly, Anise, I'm just trying to keep up with you. It's... um... I've just I've just been really blessed, I guess, to to have opportunity to um, bring people into an industry that I love, and so I think that when you read my biography, it sounds big, but it's thirty years worth, you know. And it's amazing for me to look back and go, "Wow, I've been in a, a wonderful industry that I dreamed about when I was eleven." So here I am today. <laughs> That's really cool. I'd love for you to take us back and talk about how you were first introduced to the thoroughbred industry or the equine industry and how that passion started for you. Yeah. So I think the first moment I can remember when I was a child was literally crawling out of the house and crawling up a horse, like climbing up its tail. And my parents were like, oh, that's the neighbor's horse that's wild. And they saw how gentle the horse was with me that I didn't, you know, have any mishap, if you will. And they decided, obviously, I was going to have a, a lifelong uh, journey with horses. And then when I was 11, I told my parents, I declared to my parents, actually, in our living room after a Genuine Risk won the Kentucky Derby. And I thought, mm, female power. I said, I'm going to work in the thoroughbred industry. Now, I was from Southwest Missouri. There were no um, tracks there. The closest one was Oaklawn Park, about five hours away, and then Woodlawn's another five hours away. And so my parents were like, um, okay. 
and they're like, well, I guess we have to go on family vacations to Oaklawn Park. And so that's, that's really truly how my love for the, the sport began. That's really cool. I'm, it's, it's amazing how your family um, jumped on board with it and how that, you know, your family vacation started to center around your love for the horse. That's kind of how things were um, with, with my mom and I, where as soon as I was like, I'm going to work in the horse racing industry, she's like, okay, how many vacations can we do that involve, you know, seeing different tracks and stuff like that? How, how was it for you growing up, Caitlin? It was like that. I mean, even now, um, my family, they've come to Breeders' Cups. They were just, they came to the Houston Racing Festival a few weeks ago. And I mean, they, they love it. And before I came along, they had absolutely nothing to do with horses. <laughs> they, you know, I think my mom was even frightened of them. And it was just a completely different world. But yeah, all it takes is one girl loving a horse and it can have such a huge ripple effect. That's so cool. And Caitlin, I know you and I have talked on past episodes about like being a, you know, kind of an ambassador for your friends to get involved in the sport. And I guess family can be a big thing too. Did you have any family members, Tammy, who ended up getting more involved beyond just being a fan as you grew in your passion for it? Well, I am a bit like Caitlin. There were there were no, no one in my family was involved with horses or horse racing. My father just always had a like thought it would be cool to own a horse, and so that's how it began for us. And that's the horse I climbed up on. That was the neighbor's horse that became my dad's rodeo horse. And then their whole their whole scheme to send me to Oakland Park on family vacations was to deter me. They thought I would get there, see that horse racing maybe wasn't the sport that I had um, seen on TV. And so their goal was to, to make me be like, no, that's not the right sport. But instead, they they found themselves dressing me up in outfits to look older because at the time to get in the racetrack, you had to be 16. So I was 11, 12, 13, 14. So they had elaborate getups to sneak me into the racetrack. And, and I would save my money all year to wager. And I did very well. And my parents said, if you can earn enough for the family vacation, we keep continue to go to the racetrack. So from 11 to 16, we started out in a campground, moved up to the Biltmore Hotel. And I was like, oh, there's too much pressure. I should not be a handicapper in my life. And so the lesson learned was I'm a good handicapper, but it should not be my career. And so my parents, while teaching me a lesson, also really introduced me more and more to the sport. And I remember the day that changed my life was when Pat Day waved at me. And I said, look, the jockeys even invite us into the sport. And um, of course, wagering Pat Day back then was a very good um, wager when you were at Oakland Park because he was a leading, you know, meat meat leader there for many years. Wow. That's, That's so funny. <laughs> it's yeah, like- it's so great. It's the jockeys are huge. They're wonderful. They're, you know, I see it so often when I go to the races, when they are waving at fans or stopping to sign autographs quickly coming out of the jocks room. And it's it's so good for the sport. That was one of my first ever I I went on my first trip ever to Kentucky was actually for a 4-H event. And I just happened to be there at the same time as Breeders' Cup was at Churchill Downs that year. This was in 2010. And my mom and I went to a little um, Chinese restaurant and a strip mall that was a couple blocks away from Churchill Downs. And Garrett Gomez walked in. And he was one of the only jockeys who I really knew about at the time. He actually ended up inviting my mom and I to sit down with him and showed showed us pictures of his daughter riding her pony on his phone and then um, went out to his car and came back in with a signed hat. So they really are such amazing ambassadors and um, you know representatives of the sport. But what did your first job end up being, Tammy? How did you how did you go from being a fan to actually working in it? Well, I, I, as I said, when I made the declaration at eleven, I felt very lucky in life because I I knew I was going to promote horses in the horse industry. Didn't know exactly how, so I went to you know university for ag, um, agriculture, general agriculture degree, um, animal sciences, communications. Ended up at University of Arizona for my other degree in racetrack management and partnered that with journalism. So where my real, I guess, first job would be, I consider is the internships that I was offered, which is why I love internships today and love to give back because I think if I hadn't had that opportunity, my path would be very different. 
So I had an opportunity to work um, in the national marketing campaigns for um, United States Trotting Association for the standard breads. And then I was able to work for American Quarter Horse Association as internships. And then later um, I worked while I was in graduate school for Harness Tracks of America. So I got my, you know, dipped my toe in the water through the different trade associations. And that really gives you kind of a broad range of what happens um, around the industry. And then obviously my ultimate goal was to work at a racetrack, which was called a race course, which had just been purchased by Churchill Downs at the time. And that's what brought me to Florida. Wow. We've really, we've talked a lot on, on this show before too, about the importance of internships and that, you know, a lot of times they can teach you almost as much about what you don't want to do as what you do want to do, because you have a, a limited amount of time to experience and learn something. And it, it uh, can really help to steer you in a certain direction. So how, talk to us about, um, how you've worked with different farms and industry uh, organizations to create internships in Florida and some of those initiatives that you're working on. Yeah. So I, I think when I was down in South Florida, um, Churchill Downs at the time and called a race course, were very pro um, bringing interns in to work in that environment. So I did a lot of um, sports management internships because a racetrack is like any major league sport. And so from that, I, I really gained the skill sets of what interns look for and then what I need to provide as an internship provider. And then myself as in, in the association role, what I need to provide to farms so that it becomes a win-win relationship for all involved. So at, at FTBOA, one of the things that, that, that I do is we do host internships here at our association. But more importantly, when we cannot host an internship, because maybe that intern wants something hands-on and we're, you know, we're talking about publications, we're talking about um, membership benefits, we're, we're doing um, breed incentive and awards and registration. That's very different than someone that wants something hands-on. So we work and coordinate with farms um, after talking to those students to find out where the best placement is for them. For example, maybe they're interested in foaling mares. Well, that's very different than if they're interested in the sales process, which we can do fully here from from weanling to yearling to two-year-old in racing or in training. And so we look for what that opportunity is based on their current interests, knowing that, as with any internship, as you mentioned, that can change. Well, I just wanted to comment on how admirable it is, the investment and that you're putting into these interns and the development, because it truly is the future of the sport, is the people and making sure that we're developing thoughtful, um, hardworking leaders for in the next generation. And I think it's great that that's such a focus um, in Florida. Thank you. I think that it is a collaborative process that that we we love the sport, so therefore we give back, and this is our way of giving back. and And that comes from the leadership, you know, here at our association, where Lonnie Powell, who was the director for uh, Racetrack Industry Program in Arizona, so he sees the benefits of education and the internship experience. So we have a strong belief because we came from that background. So then again, we want to always give back and find ways in our community to do so, rather than just the traditional internship. And I love that you guys have um, such a, you know, kind of systemic process, I'll say, for finding the right internship and the right fit for students, because I know that can sometimes even be a holdup for farms or industry organizations to host an intern if they don't know the requirements that they have to help fulfill for that student. So what does that process look like when you're you know, both considering the needs of the students and placing them, but also when you're working with different industry organizations or farms to make sure that they have a structure for that internship. Well, you know, what was interesting is that you reminded me of this, actually, Anise, when you were talking about Amplify Horse Racing and doing the national program you're doing, which is there's a bit of research involved, and then there's also really um, figuring out in today's world of work how that's going to match up because we know that many students have to carry other jobs in or, order to afford their their education so that internship can't not, can't always be as encompassing as we might envision 
So really getting the research and as you did, where you said, okay, let's partner this student with this business leader. And so that's one of the things I think it's, it's a one-on-one mentoring process of figuring out where the best fit is and the best learning style. And then in addition to that, um, making sure there's a readying process for those that are involved so that, that they are they believe that they're not just, oh, let me just talk to someone and give them information, that it really becomes a conversation so that both benefit at the, at the other side. So while, yes, there may be some physical labor involved on farms, and there may be some really tough early mornings when the, 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 the horses are need to be cared for early or there's an overnight foaling, but those are very rewarding on that other side. But, it, but, but knowing that everybody's in it together is how you get there. I really like that. And it's, are there specific schools that you guys partnership or do you stay open to, to any schools and students from any universities that would reach out for an internship? That's a great question. So, so as you mentioned, so Florida is the most populous horse state by square mile, as you mentioned, more horses in California and Texas. And then Ocala actually is, um, has more horses and ponies than anywhere else in the United States. Um, by far, our county does. Second is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So we really come from a horse culture here, which means that a lot of the educational opportunities are are more prevalent than they would be in other places where there are less equines. And so there are a lot of 4-H programs, FFA programs, and many equestrian riding programs for hunter jumpers. And there's a, a huge um, market there um, for for a variety of breeds and disciplines. So what we do is we partner in a number of ways. And at the top of the program, you mentioned our our equine magnet school program. So a lot of folks will be familiar with STEM if they have students in school. And so what ours has done is we've become like STEMI, I guess it would be. So the equine magnet program, the STEMI, if you will, is that now um, students from anywhere in the county, starting in eighth grade, they sign up and they're able to be bused to the STEM school for equine management. And they go through a four-year program so that they'll actually have about a year of their associate degree under their belt when they graduate from high school that involves complete hands-on with horses. Because that whole chicken and egg is, oh, I want a job with horses. Oh, but I I don't know how to handle horses, so I can't get a job with horses. So this hopefully takes um, that chicken and egg experience out and pushes students right into the area of, of excellent horse management and handling skills before they even graduate high school. We're going to have to talk more about that on a separate call because I'm so intrigued. And that's something that here in Kentucky, it is such a a process that you want to be able to place students in these jobs, but they have to have that introductory experience. And the fact that you guys have already built that kind of pathway for kids to gain that experience and then to be prepared to go out into the workforce is really, really cool and such an important step in making sure that that kids have a pathway to follow and that, you know, I know a lot of older 20-something-year-olds who, you know, apply for our mentorship program and feel like, you know, they want to work in the industry, but they feel like they missed that step of the horse handling experience or they don't know what the first step is. And you guys have really created that step and all the steps afterwards. Yeah, we've been fortunate, you know, because the the superintendent of schools that came in uh, just always had dreamed of having a pony when she was a child. And so she always wanted to have a riding experience. And so then she said, well, why wouldn't the youth in our county, because there's so many horses, not have an opportunity to have that as a, a career? So she really pushed that and found grant funding and the things that it takes to put that part in place. Then we had a kind of, if you will call a prototype program in place where we had an FFA teacher um, with um, um, one of our board members, Bobby Jones consignment, and they were, they were shadowing him. And so the superintendent was easily able to say, here's a model that we can provide and hopefully it'll expand to all schools. But right now, if it's not at a student school in the North part of the County, they still get bussed over to that part of the county where the magnet program is in the afternoons um, for their school experience with equine. So it's really it's really exciting. And it honestly getting off the ground this year as far as the full kickoff, because that's the eighth graders now um, that will be freshmen next fall. Wow. So I love that you're really starting these candidates from a very like this sounds like a resource I would have loved to have had when I was younger because I really didn't see it 
you know, learning about the horse industry is something that was possible until I was more like in college and out. So I love that kids have the opportunity to start through their, um, you know, primary school education. Yeah. And just to tag on to that. So when I was in South Florida, we did a program at the track called Kids in the Power of Work, Kapow, and the kids love that name. And it was first and fourth graders, and they were introduced to the racetrack. They got to meet the jockey, see the jockey's room, and go through all those vast experiences of being on the backside for a full day's work experience. And what we found is when you introduce youth at an earlier level of a, it's something they might be interested in, they're more likely to um, pursue that later in life. And so we don't have that up here, the first and fourth graders. So obviously starting with the eighth graders was the next best thing. But then we also have the College of Central Florida in our backyard, and they have a, a very strong equine management program. You can go business or you can go production. And what we found there is many of those students walked in not having any horse handling skills. So that's where we identified that concern. And so that's one way we're trying to overcome it and then also look at how we can improve the college program too. And then I guess kind of the next step along the pathway is after they've had that, that introduction, they've gone through a college program, they need to actually be able to find a job. And you've worked in that area too by developing the Ocala Horse Jobs Board. So when did you see the need for that really start to arise, the need to have a, you know, sort of a centralized jobs board for the region? And how did you guys go about getting, you know, kind of buy-in or marketing it to the equine community in Ocala? Well, it, the thing the thing is with um, FTBA, we have a large media presence with the Florida Equine Communications. So we have a number of media channels. So I knew that we could promote it through those channels and then obviously personal connections like you have Caitlin and like you have Anise. And so I have to give you a lot of credit, Anise, because when we had um, conversations about what you were doing, a light bulb went off in my head and I said, you know, all these people are telling me about awesome equine jobs at every level, level from management to entry level groom jobs to um, office admin jobs. And I wasn't doing a very good job of housing them. I remember them and then someone would say, hey, I'm looking for something and I couldn't quite remember who told me what. So I said, you know what, I'm going to form this Ocala horse jobs, you know, post one or get one for, for really for me to put that information out to people and then drive people to that, that we're looking for jobs. Well, then it grew exponentially. People were getting jobs, you know, part-time gigs, braiding mains at World Equestrian Center. And then they were getting, you know, exercise jobs during the, the under tax shows at OBS and then full-time jobs at farms that were in vast other parts of the county that they didn't even know about. And then to add and feed that, I began to post jobs that showed up in our publications, went to any tax shop when I was there shopping for my own horses and goats and chickens and would take photographs of, of things posted on the bulletin boards because a lot of those jobs never make it online. So I posted those, would ask people, and then I found that there are people that love to assist with that process. And so it just has really taken off and it really has become a hub for I've just had so many amazing stories of people um, having placement and finding the right place for them themselves in the industry. That was actually one of our most popular episodes that we ever had on the actually, no, I'll say the most popular Amplified podcast episode is we did a jobs hiring and internships hiring episode. Because people want to know what that next step is once they've, you know, once they've had the interest or developed the interest in the industry and they've developed the training, the next step is like, where do I go to get a job? And I experienced a, a similar thing to you, Tammy, where people would just send me jobs. And I know Caitlin, as you know, with Grand Slam Social and with my racehorse, you guys are frequently hiring and it's hard to know. Where do we recruit people from? How do we actually push these out there? And so to have a job board that, that, that is that successful and is also very focused on, you know, the Ocala area is just such an amazing resource that you've put out there. Yeah, it's, it's really been a blessing. And to hear the thank yous, um, really, and, and I said, no, don't thank me. I'm happy you're in my industry because my industry needs that intake, right? We need the intake of folks that, that are the next generation that that love what we do and have that opportunity to just um, 
I don't know how to say it, just the, the, the love of the horse, being around the horse, experiencing them is something that I want every single person, whether they have um, $1 in their pocket or a million, to have that experience. And so if we can find, if someone wants to do that line of work, we darn should work as hard as we can to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are there any other educational initiatives that we might not be aware of in Florida? Because I know that I feel like every time I talk to somebody in a different part of the U.S., there's some educational initiative in either the broader equine industry or the thoroughbred industry that I've never heard of. And I'd love to be able to inform the public on, uh, you know, other things that they should be tuned into or, you know, resources that they could take advantage of. Yeah. That, thanks for asking. You know, when you think about it, uh, one of the things that we see also as a challenge is there are students that are amazing and they go through high school, but maybe, you know, high school is too easy for them or boring. And so they don't get the best grades. So it ends up, they're probably not going to go to college. Well, so what we have done is identified students that, okay, are on that college track and maybe want to be in the equine world. We've identified students though, that said, you know what, my end result is coming right out of high school and working on a farm. And so how can we make that work? And then also the the other part of it is, are there trade schools here, which there are, where students can go and get an equine certification degree to do just what they want to do um, without all that education, or maybe they can't quite afford it at that time, or maybe they have family and work several jobs. So the goal is to meet people where they are. So we look at, okay, from high school, is that your terminus? Then we look at trade school, is that where you want to go? Or are you going to go into college and higher education? And so we look at that, we start to look at things differently where at University of Florida, they have a wonderful veterinary medicine program and we have a shortage of veterinarians across the United States. But they also said, you know what, maybe the veterinarian program isn't for you because maybe when you come out, the the debt that you might have might be difficult for you. And maybe the veterinary tech position is for you because the veterinary techs can fulfill a lot of needs um, without going through that um, eight or 10 years of, of university. So we're looking at each of those things individually and how they currently fit in our, our cultural norms today and how people look at what work the world of work is and trying to constantly ask the question of where should we be with all of that? I think that's a, yeah, it's really important to be tuned into what the, what jobs the industry really is in need of filling right now. And Caitlin, I'd love your insight on this and and Tammy too. I actually had a conversation the other day about uh, with a consigner who was talking about being highly in need of videographers and photographers and like marketing positions and um, social media type roles. And I'd be curious to hear from both of you how how you felt the growth of importance in that area as well and um, you know how the industry can maybe market those jobs to kids who might not have considered you know, oh, hey, I can be a videographer and work in horse racing, or I can do social media and work in horse racing. Have you felt that kind of um, move over to digital media and the, I guess the, what am I trying to say? Like the increasing importance of that? Is that for Caitlin? I'll I'll go first, I guess. Either either (laughs) of you guys. It was sort of a, like a, I guess a big multifaceted question, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen it because when I first started in the industry a little over 10 years ago, I, I mean, the Grand Slam social basically came out of the need for that. Um, We, you know, it goes all the way back to starting the first Twitter account for Breeders' Cup and there's now um, almost 150,000 followers there and over and nearly a million across all social platforms. So we kind of, when, when I started school, when I started university, the role that I'm in now didn't really exist. So we've found the need for absolutely for creating those digital media roles to keep the industry relevant and moving forward. Um, the industry isn't always the most forward-thinking industry, but it does eventually catch up to the times, and and that's part of it. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, when I was in school, they had just invented the internet, I think, (laughs) 
And, and I remember I was doing coding because I wanted to learn coding. And so to do my first website, that was coding. And so I've always liked um, technology. And so when you say what you do, Caitlin, I look back and say, yeah, that's probably what I would have done if that existed. So I, I do believe I see a great ro- role for socials. My, the socials I have, I, we are very active on all of those, you know, LinkedIn, whatever my personals and the, the ones we do for, for our industry. And I, I add more that correlate with what we do so that we continue to build audience and build brand. And then we also, you know, have a television show because we believe video is there. And I, and just in the last week, I've had someone call me about, hey, you have someone that could do social media with, with the horse industry. Um, and do you have someone that can do videography um, at a farm where my horses are because my the rest of my syndicate can't see it? So I believe that is a growing area. And obviously, um, a student maybe that hasn't handled horses but knows enough about how the horse looks in confirmation to make them look their best, definitely their roles. And obviously, roles in marketing and media um, to promote the sport at all levels. And, you know, it's a funny thing. Just last night, I was doing mock interviews with um, college students. They're in their junior and senior years at uh, College of Central Florida in Equine Studies. And what I found, it was interesting that I told them, I said, one of you hopefully will be an inventor because there should be a day when there really shouldn't have to be grooms that have to go in and clean the stalls because that's, that may seem rewarding as far as some fitness and you're helping your horse. But realistically, that job should go away in our industry where there's a machine that does that, where you can spend more time with your horse bonding and, and brushing your horse, loving your horse, getting your horse ready to perform. And so if you think about that, if the groom jobs in some ways became obsolete, what would be the next jobs that people would do that would be in our industry? And they would be in technology. I'm just reading through the bio that you sent of of your, this is your marketing intern, correct? Sabrina Prell. Mm-hmm. I loved that the quote that you included where she said, I'm working to take the marketing world by storm. And it includes all of these different marketing ideas that she has hosting an FTBOA virtual room as part of a spring career day. So I think all of that really highlights the, the importance in the, I don't know, increased importance of virtual marketing, digital marketing in the equine industry and the more jobs that there are in that space too. So that's really cool. I think that that she's a great, um, you know, I, I love that you sent that example and, and that we could actually read about one of your interns and these people that you're able to have an impact on. Is there well, anything? She's a, bit, oh, she's a bit like you, Anise, where she's somewhat um, created her own position, right? Because it went from, okay, you're going to be doing an in-person internship to, okay, now everybody's working from home during a pandemic. And I wanted her to get her full educational experience. So we brainstormed what she liked to do and where there were some gaps in, in, in the world. And we immediately saw that some folks were offering these virtual career days. And so she said, this is something I can do. And so basically, again, that collaboration with your intern and then also not restricting their vision saying, oh, that job doesn't exist in our industry. <laughs> we all know, like Caitlin said, well, my job wasn't there 10 years ago and, and there were just new jobs just, uh, you know, at, the, at our fingertips that, that could be there with that opportunity of, again, providing internships and those educational experiences. Another just in... I guess on the subject of sort of emerging markets or developing areas for jobs, Tammy, I know you and I have talked a lot about Spanish resources in the industry and you've traveled and worked extensively in South and Central America and worked on developing and promoting more Spanish resources. So how, how has that, uh, you know, the increase of importance in Spanish language resources um, how has that kind of become part of your role or maybe a passion in over the past years? Yeah, so so one of the goals when I came up from Miami um, to Ocala was Miami is just rich with many, many languages. And Ocala has that too, but we didn't necessarily flow that into um, the world we see as an association. So one of the things we first did is we we really were encouraged when we were able to have some folks on our team that were bilingual when we had hiring opportunities. And so that our, our customers that are breeders and, and people coming into our industry were happy when we could speak a, a different language if that was meaningful to them. 
And then our other thing is we, we offer a Spanish-speaking column in our publication, again, just trying to embrace all of those folks that are involved in our industry. And then our, our, our part three now is, as with every, every group and association, folks are really looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so each time I'm in a committee um, in my F- Florida Public Relations Association role or other association roles I'm in, the, the thing that strikes me is you always have to bring that into the conversation so that other folks begin to think, well, you know, what would it be like to go to the races if I were deaf? Would I be able to fully enjoy the races based on what I offer, what the industry offers, right? What if I were blind? Could I still enjoy the races? Would I be able to understand and still perform the same type of things as far as it being a fan could be. And I do believe we're moving in that direction when you look at those types of topics, but I think there's always more to, um, I guess, you know, we have a large, a large, large tent of lots of people in the world and we really cross a lot of boundaries, but I think that we always have to have that cap on. And so finding ways to do that by having the conversation is really critical. And if you don't speak another language, finding someone that kind of does that can help you, um, in, you know, encourage other folks to, to come into your, your association or be involved in, in the, the areas that you're involved in, I think is important. Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And it automatically makes my brain start to think, like, what would that be like to go to the races if, you know, if you're deaf or if you're blind, how do you change that experience? Caitlin, I was, I'm curious to know if you've seen more of this on social media lately. I've started to see more um, descriptions of the photos as I'm scrolling Instagram where they actually have a, um, a full description of the image that you're seeing, including what the people are wearing or you know what the image looks like visually so that I suppose if somebody is blind and they're social media is um, actually like dictating to them or reading to them what they're seeing, there's already that, you know, added level of inclusion that is being built into social media. So that's cool to think about considering that with racing as well and what that experience is like for somebody who just has a different experience than, than we would going to the races. Yes, absolutely. It's so important. And we're starting to see a lot of movements that are centered around um, this idea of making sure that it's inclusive for everybody. So, you know, whether that's meta tags or um, descriptions that allow for technology to provide more assistance to those with disabilities it's it's super important for our industry to be on the forefront of that. And it sounds like you guys are very on the forefront with that, Tammy. I'm very impressed. Well, you know, I think that one thing is just having the conversation. Um, and, and so that's just, again, so my goal is anytime I have a conversation to make sure that we talk, maybe not a lot, but about diversity, equity, inclusion, and what that may look like in your part of the world that you're doing in the industry. So to give you an example, when I worked at the racetrack, um, I, I look at now with a different set of eyes than when I worked there. So I think of like, what's the experience life for customers um, in these different types of roles, if you will. So even how does it feel if I walked into a place and I was the minority, do I feel welcomed? Do I feel, or even, you know, say as a woman, do I feel that this is a, a, a comfortable place for me? And so at the racetrack, we, we have to look at that and say, well, well, okay, we have handicapped parking close to the front. Um, and the folks get in, but if they want to race, are they able to adequately get to the winner's circle easily if, if they want to race and they were in a wheelchair, for example. So there are little things that we just have to put that, that lens on and look at it in that way. And that also means for people getting into our industry as students. So um, I had an internship that um, was challenged by hearing. So she had AIDS, but she, it was, she was, if you will, hard of hearing. And so she told me, because I talk fast, she said, just talk a little slower and please look me, you know, directly in the eye. And she goes, that is helpful to me. And so knowing that also just said to myself, okay, I want her to get the full experience um, of what I'm communicating so that she can have this, the, the same, you know, try, try as everyone else. And so that was, that, that kind of put my lens on and say, okay, let me look at that in that way. I love that. 
story and even being able to, I don't know, it's always like, I feel like people talk about, well, make sure you put yourself in somebody else's shoes when you're considering, you know, their life view of the world or um, being inclusive to others. But, you know, how frequently do we actually slow down enough to really do that? And I think that story really exemplifies that. Do you have any other like anecdotal stories that you could share just about like really special moments when you've had the opportunity to share the industry with someone who might not have otherwise, you know, gone to the races or or been to a farm and what that was like for them? There's there's one in particular. So I had a student that wanted to be in the thoroughbred industry and it grew up near a farm and had been around horses. So she showed up the offices and and she was learning different parts of the association. And one day I had an ad that was due and I said, okay, I called and they're like, we're actually literally out in the field with broodmares. This was a double diamond farm. And they had first dude who was being promoted as just an amazing stallion. It was his first year. And we had this large advertising campaign. So the student was involved with the campaign, but I said, well, we've got to go over there and get this ad approved. So we go out there and we're standing in the middle of a field with broodmares rolling in the mud and playing and the babies are frolicking, getting this ad approved. And the student looked at me and she said, this, this is the dream that I had. She goes, I can't believe I'm standing here looking at these horses in this like amazing farm. Like it was just giving her goosebumps. And I thought about it. I said, it was such a simple thing to do just to give them the opportunity and that person, I mean, she was almost in tears because she said, I can't believe I'm here. And so I thought, you know, that's that's all you want to do over and over and over again. I think that's one of the, the feelings that drives me and my love for connecting people and getting them involved. And Caitlin, I'm sure it's similar for you because you're connected with so many people and, and you bring so many people to the sport through social media that there's just something really special when you get to experience that you know, somebody getting to see for the first time why we're so passionate about the industry and then, you know, them sort of having that, um, you know, or being able to transfer the passion to them in a way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's magical. And it's what, you know, we've talked about Anise previously, kind of the, the one-on-one transference of the passion for the horses in the industry as being a legitimate way to keep the industry growing for it. You know, I'm obviously in the business of social media and marketing to the masses, but there's something to be said for individual um, connections and experiences. But you do that with every post that you make and you do that with every um, marketing effort you do. What's amazing is, you know, some, one of your posts can be just as powerful, even though you might not see that person or that audience, uh, but posting something, you know, that, that just really touches their heart or, or makes them go, that's where I want to be. And that's what I want to be doing. I think that the social media does that in a more instant fashion than me having to find a way over to a pasture, you know, to solve a problem about an ad. (laughs) It was a, it was a good, a happy accident, a good excuse to get somebody out to have that kind of experience. That's really cool. I feel like, Caitlin, do you have any any other questions, anything to add? I feel like that's a really good, you know, just yeah, a really good really. I feel like this has been so insightful and it's it's so wonderful to hear what is happening in Florida. And I just, I can't thank you enough, Tammy, for coming on and sharing it with us. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. And I I just look at both of you as visionaries and, you know, I I just see the the world of the horse industry really just in the horse racing and everything with with the horses just moving in such a powerful, positive direction. And you guys are doing an amazing job of connecting the, the dots and creating pathways for new people to get involved. So I'm going to be calling you again soon so we can have a deeper conversation about all these things and I can, you know, replicate, hopefully try to replicate some of that in Kentucky or we could discuss how to expand that even more broadly across the U.S. because I think it would be so cool to 
replicate those programs in many different ways. So you'll hear from me again soon, Tammy. That, that would be awesome and appreciated. And I'd love to pick Caitlin's brain myself. So I think we all yes, have absolutely. a little bit of follow-up to do. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your week and um, good luck with uh, just all the spring excitement that's to come with derby prep races. I'm sure that you guys are very busy with it being foaling season and everything. And so keep in touch and I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. Really exciting for us to be able to have Tammy Gant on today with the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association, the FTBOA. She's just so articulate and has had many amazing experiences in the industry and has done such an incredible job of bringing youth into the industry. What did you think of the episode, Caitlin? Oh, it was phenomenal. I'm so, as, as I'm spending more time, I guess, to put it bluntly, getting older in the industry and, and not being um, such a newbie, I am becoming more and more focused on giving back and the education aspect of the industry. So I just, I love hearing how other people do it. It was funny. This morning I was listening to a TED Talk that had something to do with basically finding your passion and what you're really good at within your job. And one of the things that the speaker highlighted was reaching out to people and just asking for a coffee or asking for you know a conversation and how that can lead to opportunities. But I always kind of feel like that with our podcasts. Like it feels sort of like sitting down and having a coffee and an amazing chat with an industry leader or somebody who, you know, I st I'm still sitting here taking notes and, you know, marveling at how many years it takes to gain that level of experience and trying to learn. Yes. And marveling is the perfect way to put that. I feel like with every guest we have on, I'm, I'm always in awe of their knowledge and, and what they can share with us and with our listeners. Awesome. Well, until next time, and another amazing guest, I'm sure. I think that this is going to be a really great year with some very cool guests based on the ideas that we've talked through. Um, and I think that there are so many more amazing industry opportunities and educational programs that we can showcase. So until next time, I'm Anise Montpleasure, and with Caitlin Christofferson, we are signing off of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast with the craziest sign-off ever because it's still so weird to sign off from a podcast. <laughs>